everybody, and welcome to another episode of the podcast from another world. And this episode is a very special one, as they all are. But we've got another guest and one of the greatest horror movies of all time. So I'm just going to let Dave take it away. Anchorage from Polar Expedition 6. Anchorage from Polar Expedition 6. Can you hear me? Over. To another episode of The Podcast from Another World. I am your host, Phantom Dark Dave. Last episode, I announced I was doing three, count them, one, two, three, three largely influential horror movies in a row, and today is that second movie. Now, what does it mean to be possessed? I hope I never find out, but I would assume it would look a lot like this. Today's film is from 1973. It is The Exorcist. Nobody expected it. All right, now Reagan, let's go. Nobody believed it. And nothing could stop it. The one hope. The only hope returns. The Exorcist. Rated R. Joining me today in this discussion of the paranormal, making his debut, please welcome to the show, Paranormal Pat. Woo! You gotta get the woo in there. <laughs> <laughs> What's up, man? Uh, not much, brother. Like I said, we were talking before the podcast, just one hell of a day, but I've been looking forward to this all day. Been looking forward to this for about, what, we, we talked about about a month ago, we said we were gonna... Dude, this was on up. the books for like six months. <laughs> it's like the beginning of the year, I just laid it out the whole year. That's true. You're right. Well, you know, the way things have been so weird this whole year because of it, I'm not going to get into it, but the whole COVID thing. But it does throw so, – it's so funny how it felt like – I went to Disneyland in March, and April felt like it went by 
so slow. May somewhat, and then like June was like all of a sudden, hey, it's July, and now like look at July is almost over. That's right. The year's that's, halfway that's, done. Yeah. Jeez. Thank God. <laughs> well, I gotta tell you, man. I I've always wanted to talk about this movie, and being that this was in your top five of your favorite supernatural related horror films you were the dream guest to bring on here and i mean come on paranormal's in your name yes sir that's right (laughs) so as i always like to do when i bring a guest on here i like to dive into their memory bank and i want to know this is an old one man it's a 1973 horror film that shocked the world but when was the first time or at least you can remember watching this movie well i definitely remember i was a little bit older when i saw this one i was probably maybe 12 or 13. And the main reason why was my dad did not allow this movie in the house. <laughs> He's always been religious, but he, he got really religious recently or I'd say about maybe 10 years ago. Not like, you know, like, Oh, devil in the house. Not, I mean, not that bad, but like that, this is one movie. He was like, he's seen it and he's like, I don't even want it in the house. That's how much it <laughs> messed with his, when he was younger and um so not being able to really have access to it i, I was at a probably my cousin's house because my cousin who lived right next door to me my uncle he didn't give a shit he watched all these kind of movies all the time and he was like oh yeah come over you can watch it over here but definitely was more in my 12 to 13 when i first saw this movie did you watch it on vhs then oh definitely oh, man <laughs> definitely was VHS. I remember I was about the same age, and this is one that I had borrowed from a friend, and it was in that clamshell VHS tape, and this was the movie that you had always heard about, but if you haven't seen it, it was the one that did you in. Like, this was the cursed movie. Like, people died making this movie. This movie's banned everywhere, and a lot of people seem to share the same feelings your dad did. of like, that movie just brings bad juju. Like, I don't want it in my house. It is not good news. And so naturally I borrowed it and watched it. And I got to say, man, I had the right effect because at that teenage mind, you're susceptible to what you see. And even then, this would have been back in the 90s that I saw it. The effects are, even to this day, still astounding. Yeah, definitely. And I remember being extremely creeped out the first time I seen this movie. Of course, as we were talking later on, they would release director's cut. And I, I'll just tell you right now, to this day, uh, I still occasionally have to get a little creeped out around stairs. Yeah. <laughs> you never know what's coming down. <laughs> exactly. Well, I remember when I first saw that, uh, you know, the whole spider walk scene, which they originally cut because they thought it was going to be too much for audiences back in 73. Um, I, re- I remember, like, coming home and just, like, looking at the stairs, like, I don't know if I want to I I go up there right now. <laughs> Rightfully so. And this movie has a lot to do with stairs, not just that scene. No. One thing this movie did is it told me where Georgetown was, because I never knew. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I'll give you one one quick funny story, though, before we get really, really get started here. It was uh, around 1973 when my uh, uncle went to go see this movie in the uh, drive-in. <laughs> or drive, yeah, drive, yeah, drive-in. And, you know, we're Hispanic, and he had a chain leak steering wheel. And got so scared that he jumped and lodged his finger <laughs> into the steering wheel. Oh, no. And they, uh, the fire department had to come, remove the steering wheel, take him to the hospital <laughs> so they can remove it. <laughs> That's a story that he'll never live down. Oh, no. No, no. Oh, now man. it's going to be forever on your podcast. That's right. I'll take it anywhere I go. Shout out to my Uncle Ernie. <laughs> Uncle Ernie, man. He was getting scared back in 73. Oh, yeah. Well, the, 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 best, was, the best thing, though, was he was on a date. So the... <gasps> <laughs> did his date stick around to have the steering wheel removed, or did she split? 
nope, she split. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, so classy. Yeah, exactly. All right, let's dive into this, man, because this is a long movie, but it, you know, it doesn't drag at all. However, I will say that I was shocked by the opening because... It opens up with Father Marion, who we learn is a Catholic priest, and he is on an archaeological dig in the ancient city of Hatra over in Iraq, and he finds this amulet that resembles Pazuzu, who is a demon of ancient origins, which it appears he's somewhat familiar with. And so I just wanted to know, like, they spend this entire ten minutes in this vast, brightly lit space and he's doing this dig and he finds an amulet and the look on his face it just he sees a statue like what did you think of this whole opening i love the the especially when he comes across the statue it was like to me it was the great scene with the sun rising up behind the the statue and everybody's kind of looking at him the dogs are fighting it's like this weird yeah. even he's feeling the vibe and then he turns and there's the statue right there in front of him just with the sun rising behind it I did forget, though, that this was Iraq. For some reason, I, I was thinking it was, like, Jerusalem or something. Yeah. You know, for some reason, that area. Yeah, man. I don't know. I was thinking maybe we'll see some Casablanca in the background. Maybe we'll see Aladdin in the background flying around. You know, I was sold on those dunes, but uh didn't happen. Instead, we got to see the ambulance. But, yeah, the ambulance really creepy. And instantly, like you said, the vibes are there between the dogs and the statue and the way the sun is peering over. It just, it really sends chills down your spine to think where's the movie going from here Mm -hmm. but uh, i'll tell you where it goes it switches immediately over and goes to georgetown so we're closing in and we get to meet chris mcneil who is the mom and she wakes up in the middle of the night she's hearing strange noises in the attic and she assumes we have giant rats in the attic and we find out that she's an actress and she's living on set in georgetown she's starring in a film about student activism directed by her friend Burke Dennings, which is a heck of a name if I've ever heard one. And we get to meet her daughter, Reagan, who's played by Linda Blair. And I love this opening sequence, Pat, because it shows how normal everybody is. It shows how engaged and happy everybody is. And it just shows that very lively and important relationship between the mom and daughter. Yeah, it just shows that, hey, we're just an average family. I mean, or say average normal family. You know, the mother's an actress who don't do her job and they have well, like I said, definitely they're definitely not average because they got servants. But <laughs> they got a nice house. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> she's a well well take, taking care of actress. <laughs> That's right. But, I mean, it's normal normal life day to day things. The mother daughter they love each other and blah blah blah. Well, and I think it's so important too because they're able to laugh together. She's tickling her daughter on the ground. They're chasing each other around the house, and I think. I like that the movie spends a lot of time setting up the dynamic between them because it completely goes astray from here on out. Yes. Agreed. Later we see Father Karras, and he's checking in on his mother. And Pat, I don't know if it's just me, but there's already something a little weird uh, about this character because there's scenes where he passes like a homeless guy and he's begging for help and he ignores him. There's scenes where you could tell he's like almost looking down on everybody. And immediately I'm thinking, is this one of those priests who's struggling with his faith? Yeah, exactly. You get that right off, uh, right off the bat that, you know, he's like, I'm a priest. He's also a psychiatrist, right? Right. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Everything. So I think that he also struggles with the whole thing of, you know, with faith, and then there's like a logical explanation between, like, you know, with it, maybe this isn't an angel, maybe this isn't, uh, you know, God. It's just 
a mental disease or whatever. Like he has that, like I think, and I think that's why they have him there too. Is like he's he's that balance in between instead of the addict. See, I love that, and that, that kind of stuff fascinates me. That's why I'm a, such a huge fan of like the Conjuring franchise too. Is because that's something that they were always pulled into. Is is it supernatural or is it clinical? And that's something that they dive into in this movie. And I love that they spend enough time there because I think as a kid when I watched it, it, part of it kind of felt disarrayed. Like I was like, man, they're spending a lot of time doing all these tests. When do we get to the exorcism part? But rewatching as an adult, I love the deep dive into because they sit there and, and they explain how they have to diagnose all these issues because they're the simpler of the issues. And they're basically saying this is a process of elimination until we get to that part of it. Is it or is it not possession? Well, see, that's the same thing like I was talking to my wife about when we were watching it is that, you know, those scenes of, of the possession and the exorcism are so boom in your head that you kind of forget about this other stuff that actually happens leading up to it because that other stuff is so powerful that, you know, even though there's but it's important for them to get that set up to, to get to that part, too. It is, man. And now we're back at the Georgetown home and we discover that Reagan has been doing a terrible thing. She's playing with a Ouija board, and she makes an, what we consider an imaginary friend named Captain Howdy. And her mom, Chris, is downstairs, and this is like a huge, like we talk about how big the house is. They have a massive basement. There's a huge ping pong table in there. They get the washer and dryer in there, and there's enough room to play with a Ouija board. And they sit there, and they want to play together. And I remember seeing the cursor, like, move away. And so instantly, Captain Howdy isn't liking Mommy, but... One thing that threw me so much, I was going to ask your opinion about this. What did you think of how she reacted to it? Because we know what we normally see, the parents normally freak out. But in this situation, was she cool with it? Well, that's the weird thing, too, because when she first sees it, it's like there's a little fear in her in her eyes of like, oh, God, why is she playing with it? Where the hell did this come from? But then two seconds later is, let's play. <laughs> like, I was like, uh, okay. <laughs> but like you said, too, and then like she goes to touch the 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 cursor or whatever the mm-hmm. I forget what the hell it's called but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. and it it shoots out of the out of, of Reagan's hand and away from her and she's like oh you don't want me to play she's like no not me it's Captain Howie <laughs> like yeah. Oh, okay yeah it's crazy man because instantly like you said when she found it she was shocked and I thought she was about to rip into you know Reagan about it but no she just treats it like a Milton Bradley Ouija board that I may or may not have and uh, yeah it's all fun and games from there you do the Ouija board. Hey man, I want to get a, a Ouija blanket. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you said one where it was like a Ouija floor, a Ouija board, but it's the floor, and it says it's all fun and games until your Zumba <laughs> summons the devil. <laughs> That's awesome. Check that off my bucket list. <laughs> Later that night, Chris tucks Reagan into bed, and this is a pretty powerful scene because they talk about Reagan's has birthday plans coming up and they don't know what they really want to do. They talk about doing more sightseeing. And that's when we realize that daddy ain't around no more. And mama's living that single life, Pat. What'd you think about that? Well, it's funny because she, she's make sure she doesn't put down the father yeah. in front of the daughter, but you can tell later in, in later scenes, basically the father's a piece of shit that is not around at all. So she's trying to do whatever she can to keep the daughter's, like, I guess, faith in the dad. Sure. Yeah. We, right away, we, we get the, the, the notion that this dad's a piece of shit. Yeah, he's off in Europe, not even caring. He's not even trying to make birthday plans. But I do like how Reagan's like, that's okay. You can invite Burke if you want to. I know you like him. Yeah. <laughs> like, this girl's too smart. 
Daddy? <laughs> yeah, right? Next scene, Father Karras is over in the bar, and he's having a beer with another priest, and that's when he tells us kind of what we were noticing before, that he is, in fact, losing his faith. Yep, definitely. He's he just like, I, I need to be transferred. I need to get out of here. You know, I, my, I don't, I, I've lost my faith in all this stuff. Right. I like what you mentioned earlier about the fact that he's like the level he's there. He's to help them decide, you know, is this angel, is it demon, is it supernatural, is it what? And he's helping keep the other priests in line. And by doing so, it seems like he's talked himself out of believing. Mm -hmm. And uh, I guess when that happens, that's when you know it's time to jet. But little does he know what he's going to be going to really ain't much better. Exactly. <laughs> Later that night, Chris wakes up to a phone call concerning work and notices her daughter's in bed with her. And that's when Reagan says that she can't sleep because her bed is shaking. Okay, so Chris, I, I guess she relevates that up to something going on in the attic. So she goes up into the attic and she hears those rats again, right? Yet nobody's ever seen these rats. And she's already sent Carl to put the mouse traps in the attic. So she goes up there and she tries to flip a switch and she can't get no light on. And so she gets a candlestick, right, from Clue. And she lights it and she goes in the attic. And dude, right when she turns around, <laughs> it was like a huge ignite. Like that flame almost burns her face. And it kind of shows us around the attic a little bit. And I thought to myself, like, I don't know if you guys have attics uh, in California. I know a lot of places have basements. And in Texas, we don't. We have attics. Attics, but dude, our attics look nothing like this. Like her attic was so big, it looked like an antique mall. <laughs> well, that's the thing. Like we have some some houses have attics, but usually it's nothing like where you can stand up and move around like that. It's like you open it up, and it's like just enough space to throw some stuff in there. At least the, the, the houses I've seen. But yeah, definitely. Like, well, it also kind of cracked me up because I'm like, yeah, it's 1973, but um, there's electricity and there's flashlights, and you went and grabbed the candle like you said <laughs> from Clue, like. <laughs> But yeah, like right when she turned around, like that was a good jump scare because it didn't need to show anything scary. But like right, you know, what, was it Carl was his name? I can't mm -hmm. remember. Yeah, Carl. See, I told you there's no rats because all these empty mat, uh, rat traps are up there. But like right away, she jumps and then here the flame just <laughs> shoots out like yeah. it, it was. A I like earlier in the movie when he talks about like we can't have rats because the attic's clean, dude. She went in the attic. That attic is not clean. <laughs> well, maybe he just meant like food wise, you know. No? Yeah. But. Yeah, but still, I mean, well, that doesn't that won't stop him from from making a nest out of anything. <laughs> <laughs> Next scene we switch over is Reagan at the doctor, and I guess she's getting a checkup. It, and this is kind of what threw me. It almost took me out of the movie a little bit because they don't really explain why she's there, even though they kind of hint that they're. Tr I don't know if it's psychological or what, but they're trying maybe something with her teenage years. But they, you know. I I'm thinking, okay, she has a birthday coming up, so either she's turning of age and they're getting like that teenager checkup, or her mom took her to the doctor because she keeps saying that the bed's shaking and they can't prove it. Now, this was, you, you said you watched the director's cut, correct? Right. The scene wasn't in the original. Oh. They cut to a scene where she's walking down the hall with Reagan, and she goes, remember what the doctor said, that it's da-da-da-da, and I even looked over at Crystal and I was like, what doctor? The doctor said what? Like that? It's just like out of the like, it's like they had already gone to the doctor, but they didn't show that scene. And I remember in the director's cut they they had gone to the doctor. Okay, thank you for clearing that up. So I I don't know if we announced in the beginning. I watched the director's cut, and you watched the theoretical version. I asked you to watch the theoretical version. I attempted to, and realized I owned the uh, director's cut. So we watched two different versions, but luckily you'd seen both. But that's good to know that this is a scene that was cut out because. 
that explains why it kind of threw me for a loop a little bit and why it threw you for a loop a little bit is because it was kind of a deadly combo. But the scene is important in the way that this is where the doctor announces that Reagan actually is a potty mouth and she shows aggression, but it's okay. She just acts like a normal teenager and he prescribes her on Ritalin. Yeah, because that's the funny thing too because up until up until this point in the original, she hasn't cussed. Mm-hmm. She hasn't really acted out. Other than saying, you know, I can't sleep because my bed was shaking. So I guess you cut it down for time. But to me, that was a scene. If you're going to have them talk about, we, oh, well, you know what the doctor said. Yeah. It needed to be in there. Yeah, it's pivotal where you think they'd cut both of those scenes if they were going to do it. Yeah. That's okay. It leaves people wanting more, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Next scene, we get to see Father Curris and... I keep saying Karras, Karras, it's K-A-R-R-A-S. I've just watched the whole movie again, and I still can't get it right, but all I think of is Scary Movie 2, Father Harris. (laughs) (laughs) But that's another scene. We'll talk about that later. But Father Karras, he's going to check on his mom because her brother had her admitted to what looks like a psych ward. Uh, It's an asylum because she's gone sick, but also she's gone kind of cuckoo. And we had a scene earlier where he got to visit his mom, he checked on her, and She's not in the best health, but she's doing okay. Like, she's able to live alone. She gets visitors. She just sits in her chair, listens to the radio. But now they mention their scenes where they had to admit her there because she was, like, screaming at the radio and things. And I found it kind of odd because he comes to visit her. And, Pat, he's, like, walking through the asylum. And they're just, like, letting him walk through. And all the patients are, like, grabbing at him. And he's, like, violently pulling himself away, as we all would. Like, it's creepy. And when he gets over to his mom... I had the subtitles on, but they were not explaining what she was talking about. But she was yelling at him, and she was blaming him for putting her there. And then uh, next scene, we see him uh, let down his frustration because he looks like a Rocky Balboa punching that bag. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's in there in the gym training, hitting the the bag and throwing them hands. But that, that was the whole scene too with his brother too. Our brother, excuse me, his uncle, her brother was um, you know was just like like how could you bring him here? How can you bring her here? Like how can you? This kind of a place should be in a better place. He's like, you got the money? Maybe if you became a real psychiatrist instead of a priest, we'd have some money to put her in a nice place. I ain't got the money. You have the money? Like, <laughs> Yeah, and that's something that he brings up a couple of times in the movie because he even says that she'd be living in a penthouse if it was any other place. Yep. Well, now we're going to get to one of the infamous scenes in the movie where we're back at the Georgetown home and Chris is hosting a party. Reagan's supposed to be upstairs tucked in, and we even saw where Chris tucked Reagan in and kissed her on the cheek, but little do we know, you know, she's back downstairs, everybody's playing the piano and having a dear old good time, and that's when Reagan comes downstairs and she looks at one of the guests and she's just like, you're going to die up there, just out of nowhere, and then she pees on the floor. I mean... What the hell is going on, Pat? <laughs> exactly. Like, see, this is like once again where like that doctor scene seems to be would be more useful because I mean, yeah, you know about Captain Howdy; she's been playing with the Ouija board. But up until, especially in the theatrical version, up to this point, she hasn't shown any signs of anything. Right. So, like, all of a sudden, it was just like you're going to die up there, and then she just pees. Like, so, like to me in the movie, if you're other than knowing that she played with the Ouija board, this is the first time she's showing and and only saying that the bed shaking. This is the first time you're seeing any signs from her that there's something wrong. Right. Yeah, and it's it's a simple scene that has a large impact because it's just kind of strange. And then everybody kind of looks at each other and the mom's like, um, she's sick, which is believable. And I don't know if you know this, but 
they don't explain it much in the scene, but Wikipedia actually tells us that the guy who she's talking to, who she says you're going to die up there, he's an astronaut, yeah. and that just me that brings a lot more relevance to the scene. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I kind of I saw that too. I looked. I was looking some of that stuff up because I was look, trying to catch. A, like, I felt like there were scenes that I was missing, and that's why I kind of went to the Wikipedia and I saw that. I said, "Yeah, they, she said it to an astronaut," but it's like, once again, they don't really explain that. No, they don't. Like Maybe the pass, book catches it. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and I gotta say, man, uh, the older I get, like I, I don't really enjoy reading much anymore. But it's movies like this that make me really curious about the original story. Well, that's what you guys had me uh, wanting to go find the Amityville horror book. Yes. Uh, book to read that one, <laughs> or at least it's book on tape. <laughs> you book on tape now. See, now we're thinking alike. We do enough. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but man, after she walks Reagan upstairs, we see another scene where she hears Reagan screaming and she goes up there and the bed's kind of shaken and she actually lays down with her and that bed is still, dude, it's not shaking. Like it's rising off the ground. It's thumping. Yeah. It, <laughs> this part made me laugh too because I'm thinking to myself, you see your daughter on this bed. You know there's no way she could be making the bed move the way it's moving. And your first instinct isn't to grab your child, but it's to jump on top and ride <laughs> it like a bull over at the bar. You know what I mean? Like the mechanical <laughs> bull. Like, oh, she just jumps on. Like, whoa, let's go. Like, Eight seconds. Like, yeah, exactly. My, my first reaction would be to grab my daughter and pull her off the bed. Yeah. Yeah, flip so, that bed over. What's happening? <laughs> first, her first reaction is, let me jump on it with you and see if it stops. <laughs> yeah. Maybe with all of our weight, we can keep the demon down, right? Yeah, yeah. We have some more scenes that are kind of pivotal to Father Karras's character because we see him visiting Father Dyer, and that's when we learn that his mother had died. So last time we saw her, she was in the institution. So unless they showed you a different scene, we had just found out. We didn't see her die, but uh, yeah, and he's now doing some pretty heavy drinking too. Which is also from the uh, director's cut. Oh, really? That whole sequence? Mm -hmm. okay. They uh, the whole time I, I, at this point I kind of knew that the mother had died, but in the actual version they don't they kind of mention it more. I think the uh, the priest that was at the party kind of mentions it. Okay, about the, the that's how and that's how she found out. Oh, but the, okay. uh, remember, I think you know the scene when she has him at the house. Uh, Chris has uh, has him at the house. She says she goes, "You know about my mother, right?" He goes, "Oh yeah, the father, the other priest told me." But th like I said, th that whole scene. Okay. Missing. Well, yeah, it's actually to to be brutally honest, even though it's a it's a impactful scene, it's kind of funny because a drunk father Karis keeps accusing Father Dyer of stealing his shoes, and uh, I was laughed. So. <laughs> <laughs> so now that we know the bed's definitely moving, Chris takes Reagan in to consult a whole bunch of physicians, but they say that there's really nothing wrong with her that they can see even though they're submitting her to every single diagnostic in the world. And that's when the doctors make a house call, which is something they don't do anymore. And we get to see our first scene of Reagan showing signs that she's not in control. And so, Pat, I mean, we got Ritalin, we got Thorazine, which is the same stuff Michael Myers is on, what, what. But what is going on with her? Like, I, we okay, 
you already mentioned logically when the bed is shaking, get her off. So I already know you got a good head on your shoulders. What about now when like she's flipping around in the bed? I mean, there's got they even say at one point like, well, when something's wrong in your lobe, you you tend to have extra physical strength. Like you telling me she was pivoting herself off that bed? Yeah, I mean that was some crazy Undertaker sit-ups. <laughs> she was you know, like she was flea and they, her and her legs were stationary. So yes. she's like oh, it was like she was like one one of those old school beds that you know you can ri- rise up and uh up back and forth. But it was just her going boom 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 and it's like you seen that as a doctor you, you can't be like oh yeah yeah that's her front or lobe all right like it's just it, even even the 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 mom for Chris to take her to take him like I got to get you checked out. I got to get your head checked. Because the bed was shaking. Like, what? What? what how did you think that was anything with her when yeah. you saw the bed shaking? Like, if it was just like you thought she was imagining it, okay. You know, <laughs> but you finally saw the bed shaking. One thing that I never really thought about, like, again, I love this movie and I don't want to dissect it too much, but does Reagan, outside of peeing on the floor, does she ever show signs of feeling possessed outside of that bedroom? I know she lashes out at the doctor a few times, but I'm just wondering, as a parent myself, if I walked in there and I seen that going on, I would have her like in my room for a while. I think the only other time is later on when I'm trying to remember when they they hypnotize her. It was mm-hmm. at the the office. Oh, you got me. You're right, and we'll get to that yeah. scene too. That's a cool scene. Okay, touche. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but like, what well, the thing I wanted to mention? I was like, man, them old school machines they did when they were trying to do the. Uh, uh, the brain scan, mm-hmm. like the, they kept her awake, had that thing in her neck. Oh, I've had a cat scan before. I just had to go in the machine. That them old machine that they would use. I was like, oh my, this is also seventy three. But yeah, dude, that like think that about was that. the hardest scene for me to watch. I don't do medical horror. Like, ugh, I can't. <laughs> <laughs> like I'm covered in tattoos, boy, but I don't want to see needles on someone else. <laughs> no, I, I, and they show the blood like spraying out of the neck. Ah. Gross. Oh, yeah. uh, it shot out too, pretty far. <laughs> it didn't stop forever. <laughs> oh yeah, man, it's going like like closer to her feet, and you can see it with yes. like all under like her knee. That's <laughs> how far they shot the blood up. And those machines that you're talking about, not only are they massive, but they're loud because they like pull it down. And you hear douche, 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 douche. That's taking all the photographs and everything. And I love that they show us the photographs because even we as an audience see there's nothing inside of her head rather than her brain, and nothing looks abnormal. Have you ever had a CAT scan before? I have once. So yeah, it's still the, the noise still is loud as hell because mm. I was having headaches for a while and um, like out of nowhere, like just bla- blaring migraines. So they were checking my head. I'm assuming they were looking for a tumor or something, which they never found anything, but which is good. But um, but yeah, I remember lying in those. Th- I, of course, I, I'm, I'm that's just how I am. I fell asleep. <laughs> like, <laughs> this loud, dun, 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 and I'm like, <laughs> but yeah, it's still it's still creepy. The fact that if something happened, like what are you gonna do? You're strapped in this machine. It's not like you can just crawl out. You're 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 in there until they take you out. That's right. Throughout all these tests, right? Nothing's working, and doctors are still consistently saying that it's all these things. And then eventually, we get to the fact to realize maybe she needs a psychiatrist. Okay, so there's a scene where she's driving home. 
and I forgot the sitter's name, but she's, she lives there, and she always takes care of Reagan. She's the babysitter, so to speak, but she's supposed to be watching Reagan, but she leaves because she has to get a refill on that Thorazine. So she calls the next best person, or who she thinks, and that's uh, Burke Dennings, right? And he's he's uh, a friend of the family, you know? He, he's possibly the love interest. We can trust him. But as we saw at the party earlier, he's also somewhat of an alcoholic. So do you trust him? I don't know, but we have him come over just a little while. And that's when Chris gets home to find the house is completely empty except for Reagan in the bedroom who's, like, screaming. And so she goes upstairs to see Reagan, and then the window's open, it's cold. And so she closes the window, and she goes downstairs, and that's when we see the babysitter come in. And she accuses her. She's like, why did you leave her alone? And she's like, well, I had Burke watch her. And it's like, Burke's not here. And then we get a knock on the door. Another guy comes in. He's like, I'm sorry, I guess you've heard. And I remember thinking, heard what? And that's when yeah. we find out that, well, Burke was there, but now he's dead. Yep. And it wasn't a uh, it wasn't a very clean death. <laughs> no, it wasn't. In fact, we hear that he took a spill down the stairs, and he went all the way down to M Street. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, and that's the thing too is the the scene where she's she's Chris is coming back. And you, you saw there's like a big gathering. There's some cop cars pulling up, but you don't know what's going on. Right. And you just see there's a scene happening right by, right by the house. And it happened to be Bert. <laughs> it did. And I put two and two together after that point. And I was just like, oh, geez. And then after that's revealed, he quickly leaves. And so Chris is there grieving. And then Pat, because I watched the version you've never seen, this is the creepy spider-ass walk scene. And as we were talking, I, well, I have seen this scene before at, in theaters, and it I'm not going to lie, I'm not as bad as I used to be, but this scene still creeps me out around stairs. The way she comes down, the way she's moving, it, it's still... My niece the other day... Don't tell me she did it. No, no, she did that. I would have had, I had to stop out my own niece, but uh, <laughs> she kind of stuck her head out. From around the corner a certain way, and I kind of jolted like that. And Chris was like, looked at me. I said, "I said, uh, yeah, no, I'm not. I was just thinking of the Exorcist." <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, this is like this to me is still like one of the creepiest things ever, and I see kind of see why they they took it out of the original. Well, yeah, and the thing is, is I'm picturing the movie with it pulled out, and now I'm thinking the scene's been inserted back in, and the way that it catches everybody off guard, it almost feels out of place because. When you watch the movie, and you know the movie, right? And then you watch this version, you don't know when the scene's going to pop up. It feels like they squeezed it in. But to know that this is how it was actually filmed, I'm with you. I don't think audiences could have handled it before. And I'm sure that the technical side, because I think they had to, like, that actress had to be on some wires or something that they eventually CG'd out or whatever. But, dude, I'm telling you, watching this scene, like, she's grieving and she's pounding on the wall. Here comes creepy spider girl. Like, what is going on? Like, they give you no time to breathe. And not to mention, when Reagan reaches the bottom of the stairs, she's profusely bleeding out of the mouth. It's like, ah. Yeah, and I mean, goes right up to her mom, just starts bleeding out of her mouth. So, I mean, even though they cut this out, this would have been, this would have been another scene of we were talking about, like, being possessed outside of the room. There it is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you think I would have watched the rated R version? <laughs> <laughs> So Chris is taking the advice, so she takes Reagan to a shrink, and we're doing the shrink session, and the shrink is, he's doing a good job, man. He's talking to her, and he's getting the answers he wants, and then 
just like any other session you see, that's whenever, okay, and now I want to talk to the person that's inside of Reagan, right? So he's going to try to summon the other personality. And I would say he successfully does, but what he doesn't expect is for Reagan to attack him. And correct me if I'm wrong, she pretty much grabs and twists his junk. Yes, so this is where Brian from Terrible Terror Podcast would say, this is something else you don't do to a dick. <laughs> you don't grab and twist. <laughs> That's right. Your, your, uh, your hypnotist is, is private area. <laughs> but yeah, he, she just, I'm done with this. Guess what? This is over. Grabs him, and she, she, all you hear is, get her off, get her off. <laughs> well, yeah, the camera follows him, dude. He falls all the way back. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And then. One thing about this scene, like what you like you said, I'm not trying to nitpick, but I, I thought it was weird when they hypnotize her. She had her arm up off the chair, and she's like, she just kept it there the whole time. Did you find that a little odd? Like she was posing. Yeah, it's like what was that? What was that? Like <laughs> that's not me breaking. I mean, like that tearing the part, movie part. I just thought that was strange. Maybe they were trying to get more of a creep factor going or something. But yeah, definitely. Like yeah, you called out the wrong person to to come out and talk to you. That's right. It just showed that the demon was chill the whole time. Yeah. Next, we get to meet Lieutenant William Kinderman, who starts asking Father Karras about witchcraft and to ask him if he had heard about Burke's death. And this is a really cool scene. Originally, I was going to put this scene in here, but it trails pretty long, so I decided not to do it. But I figured we could talk about it. He's just sitting out there on the bleachers, and we see Father Karras, and he's running laps, dude. And he's hitting it hard, man. He's making miles around this track. And he made me tired just watching him. But when he pulls up, I love the conversation in between the two because it's very subtle. And then it starts to build and get intense. And we get a lot of background because we find out that Father Karras has actually written papers on witchcraft from the psychiatrist's point of view. Mm-hmm. Yep. And like you said, the conversation was great. He's like, uh, do I know you? He's like, no, they just told me to look for a priest that looks like a boxer. You definitely <laughs> look like a boxer. <laughs> Yeah, that whole that whole conversation back and forth because you could also see that, you know, Lieutenant Williams is trying to be kind of sly about it. Like, hey, let me get in good and let's have a conversation. So maybe you could tell me about this. Oh, you're you're not. Let me. Okay, now I'm gonna get a little more bad cop on it. You know, yeah. like, hey, you know that uh, we you know there was a psychiatrist that got sent to jail for not telling us what we needed to hear. And he's like, are you threatening me? <laughs> like, you know, he's like, I no, I just told you that in passing. <laughs> yeah, I'll be telling you in passing. I would just tell him it was a confession, so now what? <laughs> I love it. Yep, little play on play. Yep. And then something that's cool is uh, one of my favorite parts, which it means nothing really to the movie, is he's just like, do you like movies? And he's like, I love movies. And I'm over here like, I love movies too. What's next? And he invites him to go to a movie, but uh, sadly he rejects it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I've already seen that. <laughs> Chris is now in like the ultimate doctor's office because she's surrounded by what has to be like 15 doctors and they're all pitching ideas saying, you know, we've tried this, we've tried this, we believe it's this. And throughout this movie, the mom just is steadily breaking down to the point where she herself is losing her mind. And she's like screaming at the, rightfully so at the top of her lungs at the doctors. She's like, I've seen 88 damn doctors and I've spent all this money in the world and nobody can tell me anything. And you say it's this, you say it's that, but nothing's been proven. And I have been there and I have seen my daughter do this and that and the other. And then something very cool happens. The main doctor says that, this is what we believe is happening, but of course there's always a plan B. 
And it gets the mom's attention because she's thinking, finally, somebody's going to reason with me and tell me what I need to know. And so what I'm going to do right now is I'm going to insert the clip and we're going to hear what plan B is. Well, there is one outside chance for a cure. But uh, I think of it as a shock treatment. As I said, it's a very outside chance. Would you just name so... it, for God's sakes? What is it? Do you have any religious beliefs? No. What about your daughter? No. Why? Have you ever heard of exorcism? Well, it's a stylized ritual in which the uh, rabbi or the priest try to drive out the so-called invading spirit. Uh, it's been uh, pretty much discarded these days, except by the the Catholics who keep it in the closet as a sort of an embarrassment, but uh, it uh, has worked, in fact, although not for the reasons they think. Of course, it's, it's uh, purely a force of suggestion. The, uh, the victim's belief in possession is what helped cause it. So in that same way, the belief in the power of exorcism can make it disappear. So, Pat, how did you feel that somebody finally spills the beans and is like, how about an exorcism? This is where I kind of feel this is definitely for the movie. Cause I, I honestly don't feel like a doctor would ever say, you know what? Try an exorcism. I, I like, I guess the, the, the way you kind of get away with it is the way he said it. Like, yes, well, he believes that it's a possession. So believing that the ex- exercise, I guess would be the right way to say it is they'll make themselves better. So at least, they, at least they put some kind of science thought behind it. But like, I, I just felt like it's hard to believe that a doctor would ever say, eh, try an exorcism. <laughs> right. Well, you know, 1973, that's what they did, huh? Yeah. You always see the difference between science and religion and the beliefs and the what can cure. Right. I, I, hard for one to, to the other say the other, yeah, you know what? Exorcism is where you need to go. Yeah. <laughs> I get uh, Just tell them that I sent you and get 15% off, you know? <laughs> <laughs> You know, uh, one out of five doctors suggests exorcism. <laughs> uh, but, I, you know, I find it very interesting. I'm with you. I think it's it's a little, like, strange. But the way he pitches it's so believable because if he is indeed involved in, you know, the psychiatry, then it would make sense that if you feed the negative nature, then you can kind of turn it on its head and do – it's almost like reverse psychology in a sense. Yeah. Exactly. Well, next, Chris gets a visit from the lieutenant, and he begins to suspect that maybe Burke was in Reagan's room that night. And so I know Wikipedia says he falls out the window. I know in the movie they explain he fell down the stairs. But what's happening is we know where these stairs are, right? And we've seen this movie, so we know where the window is. We know how it lines up. There is an insane amount of stairs. Anybody who trips and falls down the stairs is going to have a bad day. But the idea is that we learned that Burke's head had spun like a 180. Like, it was turned all the way around. And so the lieutenant's like, look, one out of a million chances that's going to happen by tripping and falling. Like, this guy was pushed. He had to fall with force, with gravity, from the window. Is there any way that anybody could have been in the room that night? Any of your servants? Any butlers? Were you having any deliveries? Could it have been anything? And the mom can't answer. She's like, usually Carl would know that, but... I can't think of anything. And so now we're starting to think, did Reagan push him out the window? 
But even he's kind of somewhat skeptical, like thinking a 12 year old girl wouldn't have the force to be able to do this. But, you know, of course, again, he doesn't know that she's also a demon. (laughs) (laughs) After he leaves, we get another huge scene in the movie. It's an intense, uh, perverse scene, if you will, where Reagan shows us more of her foul language and body harm. And this is when she starts saying a whole bunch of bad words in that demonic voice and doing some bad things with the crucifix as well. Oh, yeah. That's just a very famous scene on this one. <laughs> He's like, yeah, well, we don't really cuss too we much. We don't on need to do it. Yeah. <laughs> Well, technically, this is Brian's show, and he can say anything he damn well pleases, but if anybody's seen the movie, they know what we're talking about. This is when the demon pretty much lets loose, and it's not the most gratuitous scene yet, but it's definitely warm us up to the fact that the movie is headed in that direction. Yep. That's one bloody cross. It sure is. The mom sets up a meeting to meet with Father Karras, and then that's when she is kind of shocked because we find out that even though he's familiar with who she is, she doesn't know about the daughter. She doesn't know about the daughter's symptoms. And so she's like, okay, well, um, I got a friend who needs it. Oh, what am I talking about? It's my daughter, and I need you to do an exorcism. And his reaction is shocking because it, he kind of makes a joke about it. He's like, well, first thing you need to do is get a time machine and go back to the 16th century because nobody does exorcisms anymore. <laughs> <laughs> that was a great line. <laughs> <laughs> Back to the dark ages. Oh, oh. Yeah, you go go find the time machine, and there you go. But I I, I thought this also see where he was like, father's daughter didn't mention about my daughter. You never said you had a daughter. He, she didn't. He didn't tell you what she did. He didn't tell me you had a daughter. <laughs> so he didn't tell you. He didn't tell me. <laughs> That you have. Like, how do I else spell this out to you, woman? <laughs> well, she's even like, I mean, I guess priest really keeps their lips sealed. And he's like, oh, it depends on the priest. <laughs> And then one thing that I, I kind of meant to mention this earlier when we were talking about they were in the doctor's office, but like you were, you mentioned about her and, and this scene, it really shows it. Like you said, like her change from being this happy woman to slowly, slowly, like just just surprise. And one thing we didn't mention was during that cross scene was that Reagan slaps, yes, yeah, or punches her mom. So now she has this big old black eye sunglasses she's just like i mean but even before that you can see the bags under her eyes they did a great job of transforming her too yes and even though it's subtle but like uh, the stress and the worry and all that stuff i don't have kids but like just to thinking of even that adds even more baggers onto the shoulders of like this is my kid why is it this happening to me i don't know what's going on how do i fix it yeah it's heavy man you're right dick smith uh killed and i think he even won awards for his work in this movie and i think for the horror community and the movie-loving community, most of us know a lot of the history of this movie, but for anybody who's listening that maybe doesn't normally listen to these podcasts or, or hear much about the behind-the-scenes stuff, is, yes, um, the makeup is amazing on Reagan. Like, she looks demonic, she looks possessed, they do some great stuff on here, but the priests and the mom, like you said, just adding age, adding tiredness, adding the bruises, the cuts throughout this whole movie, like, everybody's makeup is fantastic. Yep. I love the character uh, of Father Karras because you can kind of see he's caught in the middle. He's stuck in a little disbelief. He's like, you want a what? An exorcism? How do you know she's not just crazy? She's like, when did we start stop doing exorcisms? He's like, I don't know, when we learned about all these mental illnesses. And she's like, well, will you at least come look? And dude, he doesn't hesitate. He immediately goes with her back to the house. And I thought, what a cool thing, because at least he can make the diagnosis himself. 
And so when he goes upstairs, of course, we hear her. She's making those ah, voices. But when he goes to meet her, this is when she pukes on him. <laughs> yeah. How do you explain that? Because he was, was it, she was like, you know, talking about his mother and all this stuff. But she, she's like, well, if you know all this, you know my mother's maiden name. And then that's when Pazuzu gets quiet. Like, yes. Kind of give him a look like. It's like she does what he's basically doing is is I know, but I'm not giving you my full hand right now. Right. You know, I'm gonna make you still wonder if this is just all like in Reagan's head. And so when he's like when he keeps goating her, like, well tell me, well then tell me. There you go, there's your <laughs> piece. <laughs> I don't gotta answer you, priest. But it's such a cool scene because you get to see I mean, he's no way uncomfortable in this situation. And we learn in the movie that he is not an experienced exorcist. And so I would have thought he would have been shocked in this, but it just goes to show that he's probably dealt with so many cases where it was strictly just somebody struggling for multiple personalities and whatnot. But yeah, I, I love this next scene, Pat, because this is when he basically, he breaks it down to the mom and he tells her what he thinks about Reagan. Look, I'm only against the possibility of doing your daughter more harm than good. Nothing you can do could make it any worse. I can't do it. I need evidence that the church would accept his signs of possession. Like what? Like her speaking in a language she's never known or studied. What else? I don't know. I'd have to look it up. I thought you were supposed to be an expert. There are no experts. You probably know as much about possession as most priests. Look, your daughter doesn't say she's a demon. She says she's the devil himself. Now, if you've seen as many psychotics as I have, you'd realize that's the same thing as saying you're Napoleon Bonaparte. You ask me what I think is best for your daughter. Six months under observation in the best hospital you can find. You show me Reagan's double. Same face, same voice, everything. And I'd know it wasn't Reagan. I'd know in my gut. I'm telling you that that thing upstairs isn't my daughter. Now, I want you to tell me that you know for a fact that there's nothing wrong with my daughter except in her mind. You tell me you know for a fact that an exorcism wouldn't do any good. You tell me that! And I love this scene so much. They use it in the trailer. It's such a selling point for me. Like, what do you think about it, man? When he's just like, he doesn't say she's a demon. She says that she's the devil himself. Yeah, it's like you said, like that's a powerful thing. It's like it's not like I'm I'm just some random possession or nothing. No, I'm I'm the real deal. I'm Lucifer, and this is I'm taking this soul. <laughs> right. And earlier he explains that you can't just do an exorcism, right? Like there's steps you have to take. You have to get permission. Um, the church is going to want proof. You got to do all these things. And I guess he's starting to consider, well, if this is really happening, let's get the proof because he's back into Reagan's bedroom and he set up a tape recorder and okay, if she's going to be possessed, I'm going to get the proof on it. And he definitely gets the proof he needs because she starts to speak Latin. Yep. And that was, they were saying that that was, there was a couple of things that were, like uh, signs of possession that speaking in a tongue that she's never spoke before. And yep. you know, I 
forget all the you know the rules if, or signs, <laughs> but that was definitely one of them. And she started speaking Latin. She does, and then there's some other things that are kind of mumble jumble. And I know I myself just figured that was the Latin, but we find out later because he's he takes this tape home and he's re-listening to it and he shows it to somebody else, and that person's like. Yep, she's definitely speaking the language. It's English. And he's like, what do you mean? He goes, but it's in reverse. And they rewind the tape and play it backwards. And we hear things like, help me, and I am one, and I am not alone. And then, for whatever reason, Pat, this demon screams Marin's name. Yeah. And then right about this time, too, when he's listening to it backwards, that's when uh, Chris calls, right? Yes. And I found... Well, no, not Chris. It's actually the uh, babysitter. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I found it weird that he takes this call while the he, he's playing the tape in the background. So you show hearing <laughs> he's just playing it in the background like it's like the TV or something. <laughs> like the, the radio's turned to, huh? I can't hear you now. <laughs> poor, the, poor babysitter's hearing it in stereo now because she's got Reagan upstairs doing it. Now she's hearing it in the phone. <laughs> is, she, is she there with you? <laughs> Are you here? <laughs> Oh man! But the house. <laughs> That's right. But, the killer's well, coming no. from upstairs. Yeah, there you go. But I would say this is also another scene. These scenes, real quick, while he was recording the the, the, uh, the Latin or the reverse English, was when he she said, "Oh, what's that? That's holy water!" And he starts throwing it on her. But it was yes. his castle. This is like I see. I feel like another one where he's just playing the game. Like I know this ain't holy water, but I'm gonna make you think I think it is, just so you know. Well, and he, and that's something that kind of stuck with me as odd because I originally thought it was holy water. Like, he's carrying a little jar of water. Clearly, he's a priest. It's holy water. So he's dousting her with it in the cross form, and she's like, it burns, it burns. And then later he explains that's not a good sign because it's regular water. And that could be signified that she's faking it. Yeah, exactly. So it was and kind that, of going and, both ways. Yeah, and, and that's why I also see it to where, you know, he's. He, the, Pazuzu is like, like, hey, I'm not, I'm not. If I, I had to get rid of you, I want this soul. There's a chance that you might stop me. Let me make you think that this is just all in her head, and she's making this up because she thought it was holy water. Right. This phone call is important because he decides to throw on his coat and just head on over. And he goes over. He goes upstairs to check on Reagan. And the room, Pat, is an icebox at this point. Like, throughout the movie, we've seen it's getting colder and colder. But now it's at that point where it's freezing cold. And she's got, like, mucus and all kinds of stuff, like, from her face down like a dang icicle. It's disgusting. The window's closed, but it's freezing in there. And we see that she's covered in scars. And... I don't know what made the babysitter decide to look under Reagan's shirt, but it's gross at first because you see, like, Reagan's ribs, and I'm thinking, okay, so she's losing all this weight. That's disgusting. But no, that's not what we're focusing on. What we're focusing on are there scars on her stomach that spell help me. Yeah, that obviously Reagan's still in there. She's fighting, and she's trying to get a message out the only way she knows how right now. Right, and this is... I mean, this should have already been it, but this is definitely the final proof that he needs that she's possessed because, like you said, she's in there and she's screaming for help. And so now he goes back to the church and he's requesting to, what surprised me, is to do the exorcism himself. Yeah. And they, I don't know, they seem to kind of be down on it. They're like, well, hold on a minute. If we're going to do this, we want to get somebody with some experience and to no surprise, Marion's brought up, and this is when we learn that Father Marion 
had been involved in an exorcism, I think they said about 12 years ago or something, that lasted for months, and it almost killed him in the process. Mm-hmm. Hey, correct mm-hmm. me if I'm wrong, Pat, but isn't that the prequel? I believe it is. It's been a is. long time. I want to rewatch it now. <laughs> yeah, I, haven't, I haven't seen it in forever. Yeah. I think you're right, yeah. Okay. Well, because they mentioned it was in Africa, and I'm trying to think, like, I remember some of that. Yeah. Well, Pat... Now comes the time that everybody's been waiting for because we're in our final 30 minutes in the movie. And it's amazing because uh, Father Marion's not in this movie very much at all, but he is the exorcist. And this is the iconic scene where he pulls up in the taxi and he gets out. And I wish the scene would just pause and last forever because it's such an iconic poster. But this is when we see him standing outside the house of Georgetown. He looks up at the light and uh, he's about to go in the house. Yeah, that and and that's like... Everybody knows that right away, like, you know, and he's been mocked in many things or, or, or replicated, but that's the original OG one right there. <laughs> yeah, man. And we got to talk about it now because this is the meat of the episode. This is what you talked about earlier as being the part everybody remembers. It makes everybody forget about all the medical science in the movie because this is the most intense sequences in the movie because we're stuck in this little room. And we have two priests and a possessed girl tied to a bed. And to paint the scene, Pat, it's ice cold in there. The bed has been heavily covered with sheets, right? It's like all padded down because they feel like she's causing harm to herself. Mm -hmm. And she's tied up, man. You know, arms and legs tied to the post. And now they're going to perform the exorcism. So they're, they're reading out of their Bibles. And Father Marion, man, he just doesn't look like he's in good shape. No, no. I mean, ever since he found that that little uh, trinket, you know, in, in the archeolo- archaeological dig, that he, you could just he slowly started decreasing in his health. But like one thing I liked before they went in there to do all this was what he was telling Father Karras is, you know, he's gonna he's gonna lie, he's gonna try to get you to break what we're doing. Stay focused. Don't don't stop. Follow everything I do and don't b- break the script. <laughs> right. Yeah, man, he's. It's almost like um, rookie cop. You know what I mean? Like that's the feeling. Like he's taking him out on the streets. This is what we're getting into. You know, this is the real deal. And uh, I love that he's doing it because he knows that he's got the younger priest with him, who's never been involved in this scenario, but he knows what to expect. And you and I know, uh, uh, watching this movie, the kind of things that Father Karras has been through with his mother and how. Pazuzu has already been feeding on that slowly, and we know damn good and well that's going to pop up again. Mm-hmm. And it does, man. It. Uh, we'll call this exorcism round one because they do the whole intense sequence, man, with Reagan like floating around and like she unties and floats off into the bed and the ceiling, and they're doing the power of Christ compels you. It's the like epic one-liner in here besides, it's next in a day for an exorcism. But they're, they're slashing the holy water, and it's like cutting her skin, and they're screaming, and you know everybody downstairs is just crying their eyes out, and we're thinking that we're going to get through this. And the part that blew me away, Pat, is like whenever they finally, I'm not going to say sedated her, but they got her to settle down, he goes, we'll take a rest before we do it again. And I thought to myself, oh, my gosh, we got to go through that again. Yeah. It's just funny how like how much it wore him down. And the scene's not even like a 10-minute scene. It's, they set everything up. They start going. And 
but it just it just pulled everything out of them. You know, it makes you almost feel like even though you don't see it with Bazuzu rising and all the other stuff, he's draining everything out of the room, including them. Right. You know, that, I mean, that's how I kind of look at it. No, that's a good point, too, because I found myself when watching, I'm thinking, and I'm not saying this to be uh, selfish or to pretend that I know anything on the subject matter, but like you mentioned, it doesn't last very long. And so you're thinking, like, why it, Why is everybody freaking out about doing the exorcism? But I think just confronting evil in its purest form, psychologically and emotionally, it just does something to you. And plus, he's been through this before. And so I, who knows how much has already been taken from him at this point. And when we, when we see him through the movie, you know, he walks really slow. Like, I'm surprised he doesn't have a cane. Like, the guy barely moves around. But, yeah, this is... This is it for him because what happens is it takes so much out of him, and he and throughout the movie we'd seen he's taken these pills, and I don't know if it really explains what it's for. Did you ever see anything about what the pills are he's taking? No, it, it's as far as I know, he was taking some ecstasy, man. Ecstasy, okay, cool, man. So he's tripping hard. <laughs> um, it's like the same pills they took in uh, Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet, you know, with uh, Leo DiCaprio. <laughs> yeah. Round pill, <laughs> and the same thing too. I thought they were both control. All right. <laughs> But uh, this sets up a unique scene because it leaves Father Karras alone. And I don't know what he's thinking, but he goes in there to check on Reagan, right? And he's he's dabbing her on the head, and he's caring for her. And, of course, Reagan immediately switches over and starts mimicking his mother. And it starts to put the hurt on him, so much so that he even looks at her and the demon has mimicked the shape of the mom as well. And he just starts to lose it so much so that that causes father Marion to, to run in there and see him like uh, struggling with the demon. And he pretty much is like, get out. He kicks him out, dude. Yeah. Yeah. He's just basically like, you're not strong enough for this. You're, you're breaking the focus. I told you to keep and you're, you're a liability now. Basically. Yes. Perfect. And so we get to see the door close and Father Marion's going to, what, do this on his own? And so he starts again, and then it cuts away, and I know we can hear Reagan, we hear commotion, and Father Karras decides to go back in there, and that's when we see that Father Marion has died of a heart attack during the exorcism. Yeah, and you got Reagan standing over him, kind of, you know, laughing with her hand cupped and... Chilling. Yeah. Yep. yep. <laughs> Who's next? And it just makes me wonder, did Pazuzu kill him, or did he literally just die of maybe the pill popping that he's doing? Maybe his heart gave. I mean, who knows? Like, he gets really intense during this. It's up for debate, right? It really is up for debate. It could go either way, but where it could be, it was either it was either Pazuzu, it was just his heart that gave out. He wasn't strong enough. I mean, he seemed getting weaker and weaker and weaker, and even from the little bit of the exorcism that they had already done, he was already getting weak. So it could have just been that he just, his heart gave out, you know, and he wasn't strong enough to fight Bazuzu or he didn't think Bazuzu was as strong as he was. But yeah, but you can pretty much kind of come up with your own conclusion. Cause it was not like he was physically damaged. Like if it, like, you know, he had got his neck snapped or something. That's what I was going to say. His neck wasn't turned around. He was just on the ground. Yeah, man. And this is pretty much all it takes to make Father Karras lose his mind because 
I don't want to break the scene too much, but I died laughing at this part because he takes that 12-year-old girl possessed Reagan and throws her on the ground and starts punching her and wailing on her. And I remember thinking, like, oh, he's assaulting that child. But, dude, it's so passionate because he's, like, choking her and he's he's screaming, leave her alone, get into me, possess me, take me, you want me, take me. And I remember thinking, like, that's not going to work. But, Pat, it does work. Well, I think it's because even though he was winning with Reagan, she was still fighting him. And you got a host that's going to just say, I'm open and you can have me is going to be an instant, you know, there's no fight. You know what I mean? Like, even like I said, as far gone as Reagan was, her face was changing. She's spinning her head. She's spinning up pea soup. She's fucking herself with a crucifix. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. All that stuff. But Reagan was still in her fighting for her life you have him coming in saying hey just take me you can have have me leave this little girl alone and i you can completely take me over yeah man and you know even to capitalize on that the demon has or the devil right has consistently seen how weak he is because he keeps breaking under pressure throughout the entire exorcism so i guess according to what you said he's the perfect host yeah and i love this scene because i had forgot about it Right whenever the demon jumps into him, we see his face change for a split second. And then he, um, yeah, he gets the Pazuzu face, right? And then his face goes normal. And then it goes back to Pazuzu. And then it goes normal again. And that's when he makes the ultimate sacrifice, Pat, because he does essentially maybe what Burke did, right? He jumps out that window and goes crashing down those stairs all the way down to M Street. But he takes Pazuzu with him. He does, and that's something that I found awkward because, again, I don't know much about the subject, but I wondered, is that what it takes? Like, does that work? Well, I'm thinking that, once again, they don't really explain too much into it. More up to your your imagination, but he's, he's probably, like I was saying, I'm open, take me. But that was his plan was... Hey, I have more fight in me than you think, and guess what? You, we're, we're getting out of here. You're not taking this little girl, and basically, because what, what do you say? Well, how long are you going to be in? How long are you going to be in Reagan until she, the, her body's rotting six feet under? Yeah. So, you know, I mean, the fact that he died with him possessed that I think that either just broke the whole connection completely, or trapped him inside his body. I, I don't, you know. There you go. Yeah, no, I mean, I, again, it could be looked at either way, but what we do know is it does work, and we get to hear Reagan in the corner crying for her mother, and the lieutenant just so happened to he be a spy on the house, and he hears the commotion, so he goes in and checks, and he walks into a damn crime scene because he sees the priest down on the floor, the priest out the window bleeding on the staircase, and poor Reagan crying in the corner, but hey, I guess all is well because she's not possessed no more. And this was such an emotional scene because... Father Dyer comes running over and sees Father Karras on the ground and he grabs his hand and he kneels down to him and he's asking him if he has anything he wants to confess and he's just crying his eyes out because his best friend had died. You know, and, and that that could have been part of it too, that when he tried to give him his last rites or whatever, maybe that's what helped keep Zuzu in the body that they you know. Oh he was, yeah. Didn't release so, it. Yeah. Well, a few days pass, and Reagan is back to her old self, and I love that she has no memory of what had happened. 
and Father Dyer, he comes by to check on them, and this is when we find out they're leaving, and they're going back to L.A. where they used to live, and so the car pulls away, and Chris is like, stop. She tells the driver, hold on a minute, and this is when she gives Father Dyer the medallion that belonged to Father Karras. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it came off while he was struggling with the Pazuzu when she was still in Reagan. Right, and in the version you watched, that's it, right? Like, she leaves it with him? Um, she gives it to yeah to the to the priest and then they get in the car. Reagan comes out and hugs hugs them mm-hmm. and kisses them on the cheek and they get in the car and then they leave and then I think oh I think that back they, they they give it to him after I think they were getting ready to drive off and he stops and that's when he gave him the medallion when they were driving off. Right, but in the version I saw, he actually gives it back to them and says, "No, why don't you keep it?" Yeah, he doesn't in 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 this version. That's what I thought, and I wondered what the what the separation was in thought process there. Like, is the medallion cursed? Is it just a memory he doesn't want, or is it like a good reminder of this is the person who saved your daughter? You hang on to it. I would think of it uh, as an honor to 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 merit that. Yeah, cause I don't think it was cursed or anything else. I mean, it was just the necklace he had. It wasn't like, yeah, okay. I would think it would be like more of an honor thing. And in the version you watch, this is pretty much where the movie ends because he walks over to the staircase. We get to see kind of the remembrance of, you know, the tragedies that took place there. And then the movie cuts, right? Yeah. And then in this version that I watched, I didn't so much love the ending. I understood it, but it took me out of the horror element because the way that the theoretical one ends for you, ending on the staircase, bring on the turbulent bells and everything. I think that's very uh, poetic, where in this version we actually see the lieutenant come up and Father Dyer's like, oh, you just missed them. And so then he starts questioning the father, and then he goes to the spiel of, do you like movies? Well, I get passes. And it's almost like a Casablanca ending, which you think I would love, but it's basically this could be the beginning of a beautiful friendship and cue the end credits. And it was okay, but it, it kind of was like, eh, that's not a very exorcist ending. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I definitely like this the ending that we had. It, it, it also just seems like, though, like, you know, they, they bring the detective in to, to do all this detective work, but it's like, all this stuff just happened and they're just moving away like the next day. It's like you would think that they would be like, no, don't don't leave town. We need right. some explanation of why there's a dead <laughs> priest in your, your living room, I mean, your kid's bedroom. Another one that obviously got flung out the window or jumped out the window. And then why is there straps to, on your kid's bed that you obviously had your kids strapped down? Like you would think that there would be all these <laughs> questions. But oh, man. I, I almost feel like they could have cut out the detective. Yeah. Yeah, I'm with you. I mean, short of me loving that one scene where they talk about witchcraft, he was fodder. (laughs) Yeah. But uh, other than that, I do want to ask some other opinions. Like, I don't know when the last time you watched this movie was, but I know you just rewatched it for the podcast. Um, What are your thoughts on the film? And is this a movie that you recommend to somebody who's never seen it? Oh, definitely. But I think that I would... I, I almost want to say I would recommend both versions, but definitely the director's cut because of that the spider walking scene to me is that every, out of everything that's creepy in this movie, that to me is still like it still tops on one of my things that still creeps me out to this day. You know what I mean? When I saw that, I was in my twenties <laughs> when I originally saw the spider walking scene. So what's that tell you? I've watched horror movies my whole life. And I've been to like half the time I go to horror movies. Even if I'm loving the movie and I think it's great, I'm laughing at death scenes. Right. I think you 
you, you you can understand like where I'm getting at, like with some of these movies that come out, like um, uh, what's that movie? I just it follows. Okay. Like the scene, like where uh, was it? They're on the beach and it's, the it's trying to grab her, and and the guy hits swings the chair at yep. nothing. It hits it. And he goes, "I'm dying at stuff like this." It's supposed to be <laughs> scary to me. It's funny, like, but so that aside, though, like the original is it's just classic. It's great, but. I feel like with the spider walking scene, you definitely need to check out the, the director's cut. Yeah, I'm with you, man. Um, so I, I tell people the same thing. I definitely recommend it. It's a stepping stone in the horror world. It's considered for the most um, the scariest movie ever made, but that's open to opinion. Watch it and let us know. Definitely watch the theoretical version, then go and watch the director's cut version. I think you'll get more of the impact. And sure, of you listening to this podcast episode, you don't know when that spider scene comes. So there you go. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> now, I know I've seen all the movies in the franchise that are related to this storyline, right? They had one, two, and three, and then they had the prequel, which had two versions. How do you feel like this stands up against the rest of the franchise? I saw the prequel, and I think I, I, I saw the second one. I don't, I've never seen the third one. And You've never on- seen The Exorcist 3 from 1990? No. You're in for a treat. It's so good. And, you know, after watching this one, I'm going to have to go back and watch the second one, too, because it's been so long since I've seen the second one. I honestly don't really remember too much. Yeah. I saw it once, like, a long time ago. So, I mean, as far as it how it holds up, I think it still holds up great. But I, I guess the other ones, I, I can't give you an definitive answer to that one because it's been so long since I've seen the other ones. Because I've always focused on just liking this one. Sure. Well. So. This is the one that everybody knows. If anybody watches any of the Exorcist movies, it's usually this one. I like the second one for the reason that, and like most people didn't like it because it wasn't the first one, but it explains some of the questions we have at the end of, okay, we just found all this stuff going on in the bedroom. What's going on with Reagan? So they want to do more tests on Reagan in part two and figure out more of the like shock therapy and stuff. And part three dives back into what goes on with the father. And so I'll just leave it there. You'll have to watch it and get back to me. Um, Brad Dourif, I'm just saying, but uh, yeah, man, it was so cool bringing you on the show. Finally getting you not only on this damn show, but talking about one of the greatest horror movies ever made. So if people liked hearing you here, man, tell us about the SIP network and tell us about where they can find you. Well, you can find me anywhere you can find this podcast, which is also connected to the Terrible Terror podcast. But you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and IGTV at ParanormalPat64. You can email me if you have a personal story or something paranormal going on you want to talk about, ParanormalPat64 at gmail.com. And I'm on Facebook and YouTube at Paranormal Podcast. The IGTV and the YouTube is mostly... Like movie, it's not always a paranormal thing. It's kind of just I use that for movie reviews and stuff. I'm trying to figure out what I want to do with it because I haven't really done too many reviews on that lately. But definitely go check it out and, and let me know what you think. But yeah, you can find me anywhere you can find this podcast.
that wraps up another episode of The Podcast from Another World, where Pat and myself talked about the 1973 horror classic, The Exorcist. Man, what an awesome film, and it still holds up the creep factor, even to this day. I wonder if someone will ever be bold enough to try and remake it. Better not. I don't want no CGI in my exorcisms. As mentioned before, if you liked hearing Paranormal Pat on here, you can find him on his own podcasts. That's right, the Paranormal Pativity podcast and the It Be Like That podcast, which he does with the terrible terror host himself, Brian. You can head over to www.sipnet.us for links and more information. Now, I took you to a haunted house. Then... I took you to a haunted bedroom. My next episode is the final chapter of this three largely influential horror films marathon where I will be joined by the angry dad and we will head to what I consider to be the utmost terrifying and that is the ocean. That's right. My final episode of August will be the 1975 classic, Jaws. So, stay tuned for the next episode of the Terrible Terror Podcast, and I'll see you in a couple of weeks. Where are my floaties? Ocean's deep. for listening to this episode of the podcast from another world on the exorcist featuring paranormal pat himself and as always don't forget to follow the sip network out there sipnet.us uh, on twitter it is sip network sip sorry i almost got that backwards uh and then <laughs> all the other podcasts that are on the sip network the angry dad podcast five faith from fans paranormal pativity the podcast from the world back in time podcast Terrible Terror Podcast, Deadhead Radio, I Married a Bigfoot, Classic, the, I think it's Classic Podcast, I think that's the one that Dave has that's going to be new, that's going to be coming up, um, and I don't know if he's announced it, but there you go, that's going to be on a whole different feed, by the way, uh, and From the Waste, which is the last, I believe, of all the podcasts that are there, if I forgot anybody, uh, I'm terribly sorry, but I don't think that I did, so... Uh, nonetheless, make sure you check everybody out and, uh, thank you guys once again for listening and take care of yourselves and each other.